Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Player Profiler and our podcast network is super resource intensive and we rely on premium subscriptions to the website playerprofiler.com to keep the engine running. Go there, sign up for our player rankings, Dynasty Deluxe, DFS package, or go all in. Those that subscribe are everything to us. And we're back to man versus machine. Dario, how are you doing today, buddy? Doing well. You know, it's just kind of one of those weeks where it feels like it's still Monday on Wednesday because things are just getting started. Like, I don't know if, if you feel that at all, but just just feeling like a like one of those kinds of weeks rolling by. But we're getting a lot done. I feel like we've got some some very big fish that we're frying right now. Yeah, we do have some big fish frying behind behind the scenes, on the scenes, in the scenes, uh, in, in the jeans, like everything. Like everything is just moving around. It's, there's so much going on behind the scenes that player profiler. Um, I'm excited for for things in the future, but I bet people are excited today because they're here to listen to us talk about the Vikings backfield. We have listed inside the show description. There's been some news, recent developments, and we've kind of been anticipating this all off season, anyways. But we're going to dive into that today. We're also going to dive into the projections for the NFC East. We're going to talk about the Philadelphia Eagles. We're going to talk about the Dallas Cowboys. Uh, we're going to talk about the New York Giants, and we're going to talk about the Washington Commanders or the football team, whatever you want to call them. They don't even know what they're going to call themselves still. And so before we do that, though, we're going to do a quick read from our sponsor, and then we're going to hop right into the magic. You know, people always ask me, hey, what is the the World Series of fantasy or the Super Bowl of fantasy football? And it's easy. It's the FFPC, the Fantasy Football Players Championship. It's a $6 million prize pool. And they've had their never too early best ball leagues cranking since February. So the FFPC is the answer to so many questions. Hey, hey, where's the best place to get a dynasty orphan? Well, you can adopt a dynasty orphan at the FFPC. That's why we partner with them. If you want to play fantasy football for low, medium, high stakes, seasonal, best ball, dynasty, go to the FFPC. And don't forget, promo code UNDERWORLD to get you $25 off your first team. $25 off your first team, no matter what team it is, no matter what format it is, at the FFPC. Go do it. That was like a pretty good deal. Yeah, good deal. That's the wrong. That that's definitely the wrong button there. This is the right button. <laughs> we have some shakeups, right? We want to talk about the Vikings. Yes, we want to talk about the NFC e, uh, the NFC East, but we want to talk about this Vikings backfield because this is going to shake up the landscape of the NFL. We expect Dalvin Cook to be moved. This opens up a lot of opportunity in this backfield. Was talking to Dario about this, and he said, "Why don't we talk about the NFC North?" And I said, "Well, I just talked about the NFC North last week on the Dominator. Uh, Got to switch it up a little bit. However, let's still touch base on this backfield." So, not sure if you saw all the news, but the Vikings just casually updated their banner. They removed Dalvin Cook from the banner. They replaced him with Alexander Madison. We've heard scuttle that Dalvin Cook was going to be released, traded, moved. Either way, he's gone. He's not going to be a Viking. I think it's safe to say now, Dario, at this point, that this backfield is officially Alexander Madison's, even though it has not been officially announced. That opens up 
the number two option in this backfield to either Ty Chandler, Dwayne McBride, Kane Wongu. What do you think, or I should say, how do you think this backfield will shake up with Dalvin Cook on the move? I think it's interesting because we've seen Alexander Madison be a very reliable fill-in for Dalvin Cook in years past, but we've also never seen Alexander Madison really carve much of a workload in alongside Dalvin Cook. It was always one of the clearest handcuff situations in fantasy, and handcuff situations are pretty easy to figure out when it's one week, but over the course of a season, coaching staffs are going to make decisions based on how well a guy is playing, how they feel that team is developing, and often you know create these running back committees that we dread so much in the fantasy world, but are often just the best way to strategically deploy your backs from a real NFL coaching perspective. So I think that on the one hand, I I think that we've had this priced in on our ranking of Madison for a while. We've been kind of ahead on the curve on him, but I also wouldn't be surprised if there reaches a point in this offseason where we start to maybe get off of that hype train a little bit if he starts to look like a bit of a dead zone running back because everyone's projecting him to take over, you know, 200 touches right off the bat, just just straight up assumed when he's obviously a guy who we've never seen handle anything close to that. So I think it it's it's going to play out very interestingly. And I think that, like you said, Nguangwu and Chandler and McBride all having their chance to create their own role alongside Madison or behind Madison and what order those guys shake out in is going to be very important for that last round of best ball drafts. But it's tough to get a read on it from a projection standpoint right now. Yeah, it is tough. I, I think Madison will be probably the candidate to lead this backfield, but I could see the likes of Chandler being mixed in as the RB two. I mean, Chandler is, is a, is a fastback 4.38 speed. I mean, blazing speed, um, 93rd percentile speed score as well, uh, over on player profiler. Uh, hasn't really had a chance to do much yet in in his early career. Um, they also drafted the likes of Dwayne McBride here in in twenty twenty three in 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 round seven 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 oh five to be exact. And he came out of a pretty productive college career. seventeen hundred yards um, at UAB in twenty twenty two. Thirteen hundred yards in, in these are just rushing yards, by the way. In in twenty twenty one, he had nineteen touchdowns in twenty twenty two. Thirteen touchdowns in twenty twenty one. Um, however, doesn't really contribute much, if anything at all, in the passing game. Only 2% college target share. So this might be a three-headed beast, right? Maybe you see Chandler take on a little bit of the passing role. You see Madison take on um, a bit of the passing role. You see Dwayne McBride take on a lot of the rushing blade from the tackles. You see Madison taking on carries from the tackles. Although, whenever I am looking to potentially project out backfields that are starting to look messy like this. I like to look at players that have athletic ability. And for me, that has to be Chandler, right? I think Ty Chandler is in a place to succeed in this offense, especially if there's 200 plus touches available. If there's, you know, 6% of the target share available, 7% even. Uh, I think that someone who's going to run a 4.3840, someone who's out there with a 93rd percentile speed score has the ability to take it to the house and, Anytime you see speed like that on the field, it's going to earn snaps. So I lean mm-hmm. as Ty Chandler as as the second in this backfield right now. I mean, we adjusted the projections um, with Ty Chandler. I, I moved him to 28% of the rush share, which is only 120 rush attempts, which seems high right now. Um, I yeah. lean that way over McBride. But I mean, we, we have to account for 46% of the rush share in this offense right now. You know, rush, Cook was projected for 46%. We had Madison projected at a time for just under 40%. He's at 42% now. So there's still 46% of this offense that needs to be accounted for. And it right now, it has to be between Ty Chandler and Dwayne McBride. Now, it also opens up the possibility of a veteran being added here, like Kareem Hunt, Leonard Fournette, Ezekiel Elliott. There's a lot of names that are still available on the free agent market that are still able to contribute at this point in their careers. So Although I'd like to take dart throws on Ty Chandler and McBride late, I would not say, you know, go gangbusters on the ownership. I wouldn't go extremely high because there is a possibility here mm-hmm. still that they do add a veteran presence and and combine them with 
Alexander Madison and then work in the rookie and then work in Ty Chandler. Nonetheless, I do like taking some shots on these two backs late drafts. Yeah, yeah, I agree with everything you said. I think that this, I just think that this is kind of like the way we've been thinking about running backs this offseason, that, that veteran class that's aging out. I mean, between Zeke, Fournette, Hunt, Cook, and Mixon, you've got these five guys who have been really consistent for fantasy. And then, I mean, Kareem Hunt, I didn't even get around to mentioning, who's also shown very good flashes and has a whole bunch of off-field problems that will keep a bunch of teams from even talking to him. So you have these guys who have been productive, but we've seen their efficiency really start to fall off a cliff the last year or two. And the their, their shadow over just about every backfield that has any uncertainty is still there and still very strong. So I think that this could be something where even mid-July, early August, one of those guys or multiple of those guys are going to sign somewhere and going to reshape how we think about a certain offense's backfield overnight. Word of advice, as you're in your drafts, if you're inside your FFPC drafts, you're inside your underdog drafts, make sure that you do mix in some exposure. I'd say you want to have at least a little bit of exposure to all these guys. But again, I wouldn't go crazy. Um, as tempting as it is to you know, take Ty Chandler around 20, you know, 30% of the time, it's still a possibility that somebody else lands there. Well, let's move on to the NFC East. Uh, we just wanted to talk about that backfield briefly. Let's walk through the projections. So I just want people to hear what we have each player projected for. We can kind of discuss uh, if you agree with the line, if you, if you think we need to adjust it a little bit. Uh, I recorded earlier today with Jake Seeley. Uh, it's making me start to kind of second guess Kenneth Gainwell a little bit. And so would like to hear your thoughts on Kenneth Gainwell as we get to him. But let's start with Jalen Hurts. Uh, Hurts, of course, comes in as our quarterback number three inside of our rankings. Um, we have him projected for 499 pass attempts. We have him projected for uh, 3,843 passing yards. We have him projected for 25 passing touchdowns. Uh, seven and a half interceptions. And then where he makes money is on the ground as well. 132 rushing attempts, 661 rushing yards, and 10 more scores. No question, no doubt, Jalen Hurts is an electric talent. Um, so we don't need to spend too much time on him. But let's move to this backfield where we have a three and four headed monster. We have DeAndre Swift, who we have right now for 25.5% of the rush here. We have Kenneth Gainwell for 15% of the rush here, which would be a career high. We have Boston Scott for 4% of the rush share, and we have Rashad Penny for 30% of the rush share. Do you think that these numbers need to be adjusted? How do we feel about these numbers? And maybe what is a best and worst case scenario for each one of these players? I think the interesting thing is between Swift, Penny, and Gainwell, they all have really, really juicy ceilings. But if I think if all three of these guys were to stay on the field and stay healthy, we'd probably be disappointed in all three for fantasy from a season-long perspective. So any one of these guys I'm looking at as a dart throw or kind of a kind of a roll of the dice that opportunity breaks their way. Maybe they're the one who stays healthy. I think, I mean, if DeAndre Swift and Rashawn Penny combine to miss zero games in an NFL season, that'll probably be the first time that that's ever happened for either of them. So... It's it's almost inevitable that there will be some big Kenneth Gainwell DFS weeks. So I think that from a season-long perspective, you kind of want to get a little bit of exposure to all three of them, like you said. And I think that, I mean, DeAndre Swift's ADP right now on underdog is pretty unwieldy. I don't know if you've been able to take a look lately, but I think he's climbing into the sixth or seventh round. Yeah, and it's even worse that's pretty, on FFPC. pretty much you're hoping for his ceiling outcome there. I mean, it, obviously his ceiling outcome could be massive still on top of that, but RB22 is is not giving him a lot of room to create profit for you. Well, and we have to take a look at just this this team in general, right? It's a rushing it's a rushing quarterback who's also going to eat into the red zone uh opportunities for for all these backs. Right? You mentioned Penny. Penny also has you know, a lot of work between the tackles. Gainwell can also run between the tackles, although he's not utilized between the tackles. Swift is going to be utilized in the passing game. Gainwell can also be utilized in the passing game. So Gainwell kind of overlaps what Swift and Penny offer, as well as what Boston Scott contributes to this offense. So it's yeah. 
we all already know that Nick Sirianni is going to rotate backs, and he's done it regardless of who he's had. He did it last year when he had Sanders, Boston Scott, and Kenneth Gainwell. We even saw it in the red zone where like each of them would have a touchdown in a game. Like it, it would, you'd give it to Sanders. The next next series, he'd give it to Gainwell, and then the following series, he'd give it to Boston Scott. So this roulette backfield is is I think you hit you know you were on point when you mentioned that we could be disappointed in all three of these backs. I think it's a very likely outcome. That being said, I also agree with you that we're not going to see a complete season from Penny or from Swift. <laughs> and if you combine the two, I don't even think we get 16 games between the two of them. If we did get 16 games from Rashad Penny, if you knew today you had 16 games of Rashad Penny, where would you put him in your rankings? In this offense, I mean, I think you'd have to put him probably... Like let's, I mean, let's game it out, right? We we can open up the projections, say that mm-hmm. um, Rashad Penny was healthy the whole season, puts him closer to forty eight percent, maybe of the rushing share. Yeah, probably. Okay, so, I'm updating right now. Yeah, give him like one ninety. I mean, two two hundred fifty carries is is a lot, but I mean, when he's been healthy, he's a guy who can easily handle fifteen eighteen carries a game. So I think that makes sense. It's weird to see that for him, but. <laughs> And then I, I think if he if he's healthy all year, he's definitely getting more targets than this, and he's probably looking at two you know, percent, maybe three and a half percent. Yep, about twenty targets over the course of a season, and that alone makes him our RB sixteen. Sixteen. So Where'd you say is his underdog ADP was right now? His is um he's he's going like five rounds later than Swift. He's he's going in the tenth oh, round, one thirteen. Yeah. So of course these are hypothetical projections. We do not expect him to play this much. I'm just going to hit Control Z until we're we're back. There we go. Um, right now we have at 158 rushing attempts, and I think this could be easily outproduced if he stays healthy. But we have right. known that you know Penny and the word health should never be used in the same sentence. Uh, and and I think that this is a pretty modest projection, but I think it's realistic because I don't think we're going to see a full season from either Penny or Swift. Let's talk about the passing game. We have A.J. Brown still on this team, Devonta Smith, uh, Dallas Goddard. They brought in Dan Arnold, who has been a, a pretty reliable staple as a, as a tight end two in an offense. Um, again, we have the likes of the backs like DeAndre Swift, Gainwell, and even Penny who are, are able to, to, to catch the ball. What does this look like for this offense? Um, and do you think that we have these numbers right? Target share, A.J. Brown, 27%. Devonta Smith at 25%. We have Goddard at 18%, Swift at 9.5%, and then it kind of trickles down from there. Mm-hmm. I think this is good. And I think, if anything, the guy who can beat us the most, given these projections, is Devontae Smith. Down the stretch last season, he was a 28 29% target share guy for the last six weeks of the season. So he was consistently someone that just you, you wanted to have in your DFS lineups on you know, on your rosters, I'm pretty sure he won a lot of people money in best ball last season. So I think that he could easily exceed this 132 target projection. I'm going to see real quick how that compared to his counting stats last year. I mean, last year he had 136 targets. This year's projection is 132, you know, right along those same lines. I think he could very easily continue to grow. He's still a young receiver. And I think that his, um, you know, his efficiency is going to get better probably. And also the biggest thing is this offense had an amazing game script last season. There, there was no one else who was playing from ahead as often and as far ahead as the Eagles were last year. So it's going to be practically impossible for them to be as run heavy this upcoming season as they were last season because the schedule is not going to, you know, favor them going I think they what started 12 and 1, 13 and 1 before Hertz got that shoulder injury. Like it was just ridiculous how often the Eagles were blowing people out last year. And I think that they're gonna find themselves behind a few more games this year than they did last year. And those game scripts are going to lead to some big games for Devontae Smith, AJ Brown, and Dallas Goddard as well. How much more do we expect them to pass? Because they were at bottom seven in the league in in pass attempts last year. Uh, they were they were top ten in the league in in rushing attempts, and 
I mean, near the top. It wasn't near the top. Let's let's actually let me filter this real quick. They were actually the most run heaviest team last last year, or what we project them for for this year, I should say five five twenty nine. How much more should we increase Philadelphia's passing volume based upon the schedule? Because we did adjust it, but not a lot. Yeah, I mean, I think that the pass rate could easily go up like two to three percent difference in a pass rate is massive in terms of how many plays that comes out to over the course of a season. You're talking, you know, little over a thousand plays for every team. So if you increase, you change 3% of those from runs to passes, you're talking about 30, 35 more targets to go around the entire offense. And, you know, whoever is the guy that turns out to have that year that exceeds expectations in the passing game. I mean, that overall increase in attempts i mean i bet if we did that right now let's if we just change about 25 of these rush attempts to pass attempts in the projections let's let's do that right now we go to 504 there and 555 here and so we just change 25 of our projected rush attempts to pass attempts for the eagles offense and frankly i'm surprised that jalen hurts didn't become the qb1 by doing that, because I think that adding that pass volume, it gave him another touchdown, another 100, 200 yards passing. And I mean, I guess it hurts him in the rushing game, too, is probably where it, where it balances out because he exactly. has so much rushing upside as a quarterback. But I think that's why Jalen Hurts is just awesome in fantasy and almost untouchable, because in a game script where they're playing from ahead that is conventionally bad for a quarterback, he's going to be part of that rushing attack that is grinding out that lead and finishing off that game. And in a game where they're playing from behind, he's going to be hitting deep balls to Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown. So he's very much, I think, the most game script proof quarterback in the NFL because Josh Allen kind of runs more out of necessity than as a key part of his offense. And Jalen Hurts, he's going to get those rushing touchdowns and rack up the rushing yards no matter what the game script. For the Eagles. I agree. Let's take a look at Dallas. So Dak Prescott comes in as our quarterback number 10 in our seasonal rankings. And inside the projections, we have him projected for 4,101 passing yards. We have him projected for 31.4 passing touchdowns and 10.9 interceptions. Um, on the ground, we do have him for 9% of the rush share, which is roughly 45 attempts. We have him for 179 rushing yards, which is a 4.0 yards per carry. And we have him for two rushing touchdowns. I know there's a lot of concerns. Kellen Moore is no longer on this offense. The new OC is kind of a buzzkill in terms of, of efficiency. But we still have Tony Pollard, who's electric inside the passing game and as well as a, as a rusher. Uh, we still have CeeDee Lamb. They went out and got Brandon Cooks. Um, they bolstered their tight end with a draft by drafting Luke Schoenmaker. So still have Michael Gallup as the now wide receiver three in our projections. We are anticipating another back still to be added to this, this backfield. I think this is one of those backfields that we expect a veteran to eventually land here, whether that's Zeke coming back or Fournette or Hunt. Again, any of those names we mentioned earlier when we were talking about the Vikings, we do expect somebody to land here. There's just too much of the pie to be accounted for right now. Uh, we still have roughly 30 plus percent of this backfield in need of uh, in need to be accounted for. I mean, Zeke mm -hmm. Elliott is a placeholder right now as a free agent uh, just because we know that he's going to land somewhere. We just don't know where yet. Um, we only have him in this for 134 touches, which is probably light whenever they add a back, but we do expect somebody to be, added to this backfield to kind of eat into Tony Pollard's role. But as of right now, we have Tony Pollard projected for 45% of the rusher, which is 224 attempts, which is quite a bit for him. 4.8 yards per carry, a little over 1,000 rushing yards, and 7.4 touchdowns. What does this backfield look like when they add a veteran? I mean, I think best case scenario is Ezekiel Elliott, because we already know what that dichotomy looks mm -hmm. like and how it's going to be divided. But let's just say it's Kareem Hunt, or let's just say it's Fournette. What if it's Dalvin Cook? We just talked about the top of the hour. If he's moved, Dallas probably would make a move for for Cook. How does that break? Kind of list best and worst case scenario what you think this would look like for Tony Pollard if any of these backs landed here. 
I I think I'm personally kind of excited for when the Cowboys do sign another running back because it's going to drive Tony Pollard's price back down. Mm-hmm. And that just means I'm going to get even more exposure because none of those veterans, I think, are going to be much of a threat to Pollard's role. Last not year, even he had Cook? almost... I don't think they're going to... They're not going to sign Cook. <laughs> what if they do? I think even, even Cook... It was so inefficient last year compared to what we've seen over him over the course of his career. I mean, he still had his occasional big plays, but his success rate, his rush yards over expectation were were plummeting. So he's been he's been on a major downward trend in efficiency. I mean, I wouldn't I think the Cowboys are gonna just get more run heavy in general, and that was part of why they let Kellen Moore go. So I think that keeping I mean, that projection of around two hundred what was it, two twenty, two hundred and yeah, two hundred and twenty four carries. For Pollard seems pretty reasonable to me. He's still going to have his receiving role. And I don't think that people realize how many targets Zeke was still getting while he was on this team. I mean, Zeke had, it was was 17 receptions last year on a 4.8% target share. It's nothing crazy. But in years past, I mean, you've seen 40, 50 receptions from Zeke year in, year out. So there's, I think, still more room for Pollard to grow in that regard. And I mean, I yeah, like I said, I just think when when they do add someone, it's going to drop Pollard a couple spots in ADP. And I don't think it's going to change my mind too much because Pollard is so extremely hyper efficient and so talented with the ball in his hands and as a receiver that I think he can do just about anything. So Tony Pollard is going in FFPC drafts at the two, three turn. He's kind of sneaking more into that like two, seven, two, eight, two, nine range. Let's play a game here, Dario. So indulge me. How far does he drop if Kareem Hunt signs? Ooh, I mean, probably like mid third. Like I would give it like three, three to three, five. Okay. I don't think he drops a full round. And that's right about where he's going on underdog too. His ADP is 22.8. Call it the end of the second round. I think he drops into the early third, closer to ADP, like 28, 29, 30, maybe. Okay, how about where does he fall if Leonard Fournette gets added? I mean, I I don't think that... Interestingly enough, I'd be more worried about Hunt than Fournette because I think Hunt still has some juice, some gas left in the tank. Whereas I think Fournette is is very cooked. And I think that Fournette's receiving stats were extremely padded the last couple of years by Tom Brady's, you know, dump-off tendencies. So I don't think Leonard Fournette's suddenly become an, an incredible target earner at the running back position. So I think that I'd be a little more worried about Hunt because he's still kind of been a little more explosive as that RB2 in Cleveland. And I think that he's just kind of still got more left in the tank. The ceiling that he has shown as an efficient NFL running back has, I think, always been higher than Fournette's. So I don't know. I think that this is, you know, (laughs) all these guys, like I said, these dusty veterans, they're going to end up somewhere. One more. One more. How far does he fall if Dalvin Cook signs? Before you answer, I know you talked about he wasn't efficient last year. Even on a down year, he still had 1,173 rushing yards, 4.4 yards per carry. He still had 39 receptions for 295 receiving yards, 10 touchdowns, and finished as RB14 in points per game. I mean, I, I would, for me, it would really be about the money, too. I think that you can't... Like, if hypothetically Cook signed there for... 1 million that's very different than if you know someone throws him 5 million guaranteed but i still think pollard would have to stay in the first 3 rounds like maybe he falls to the late third if cook gets there early fourth but it just seems like that that i mean if the if the cowboys really were to do that they would just, <laughs> everyone would laugh at them for a good week would it surprise you it wouldn't surprise me i I think Pollard drops the fifth, if middle of the fifth, if Cook signs there. I, I could see him really dropping just because now you have another back that's capable in the passing game, another back that's capable in the red zone. Best case scenario is he resigns in Dallas, in my opinion, for Pollard. Mm-hmm. And I think Pollard stays pretty close to ADP. But Dalvin Cook would be the worst case scenario out of all these veterans. Like oh, I, for sure. I could see a, a real two to three round drop if, and and I think that would be conservative. I just. I think Pollard would probably fall into like the teens in terms of projections as well. It would be it'd be kind of it'd be kind of messy. I think it would be closer to like a Gibbs and and 
David Montgomery type of split in this backfield mm-hmm. if, if if that were to happen. So I think, see, I would still be bullish on Pollard if that was where the ADPs fell. Like, I think that the the better guy is gonna is gonna win out. And I mean, Dalvin Cook's ADP right now is sixty seven on underdog, probably so probably going in like the sixth round on FFPC as well. Like, if you're saying Pollard falls to the mid fifth, Dalvin Cook would also like they would basically become like you said pretty neck and neck like a Gibbs Montgomery situation and I think I'm betting on Pollard to win out in efficiency in health in all of those regards over Dalvin Cook. Now all right. Very I'm, distant hypothetical. <laughs> all right, enough about fairies and butterflies and never ever land. Let's talk about the receivers in the passing game. CD Lamb comes in our projections as the wide receiver one in this offense with 27% of the target share. We do have him projected for just under 1,400 receiving yards and 10 touchdowns. We have Brandon Cooks uh, assigned right now as the wide receiver two with 20.5% of the target share. Uh, brings him in just under 1,000 yards, 980 to be exact, and 7.3 touchdowns. This is arguably one of the better quarterbacks that Brandon Cook has had in his career outside his time with Drew Brees. And then we have Michael Gallup, who took a, a, a pretty big drop inside the target share once they added Brandon Cooks to 14%. Dropped him down to 578 receiving yards and four scores. None of the tight ends really doing anything outside of 8% target share. And then we have Tony Pollard for 11% target share inside uh, the passing game. How do you feel about the projections here? Do you think we need to tweak anything? Do you like it? I feel like it feels pretty sound right now. I think so, too. I think that, I mean, I've, I've debated you on moving CD Lamb down a little bit. And I still think I would probably hedge that way i think that the a lot of his best games last year and the stretch where he was really playing and earning targets like a true alpha was actually when cooper rush was the quarterback for the cowboys that was when you knew cd lamb was getting 10 targets every week no matter what and then when dak was back it was kind of like you would have those games where cd lamb disappeared and i think that that's still kind of a a little bit of a concern obviously he's still super elite fantasy asset deserves to be going in, you know, the early second round where he is. But I think relative to the other receivers in that category, it'll be interesting to see whether he can continue to make that gem. I mean, he's entering his, his fourth season and we still haven't seen, you know, a top three wide receiver fantasy season from him. Like we've all kind of been expecting and like his uh, status in dynasty would seem to indicate should be coming at some point. And then I think that the Gallup and Cook's aspect of it is very interesting too, because Gallup is one of those guys where I've always, you know, he's one of those guys where you kind of optimistically project him for 18, 19%. You hope for something more to come of it, but then he's just kind of always had those games where he disappears as well. The deep targets, obviously the injuries coming back from last year. Um, I think that Cooks is a very good signing for them. And I mean, I think 120 targets is pretty optimistic for Cooks too. I think that's like closer to the higher range of outcomes for him. But I do think that he basically consumes a lot of the pie that we had assigned to Dalton Schultz. And some of those targets, those targets had to go somewhere. Luke Schoonmaker's probably not going to be a difference maker in fantasy as a rookie tight end. And I think that Brandon Cooks is going to a situation where he frankly will have that chance to make a difference. So I, I agree with you. I think we're we're in a pretty good spot on all these Cowboys. <laughs> I like this comment because you, you didn't mention it, but it's true. Plus all of Gallup's dropped passes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he, he does have a tendency. How many did he drop? He's, just, he's, he's I, one of those guys who drops like the no-brainer passes and then he'll just make the craziest catch over his shoulder or like on top of a defender. You're like, why can't you do that all the time, dude? I mean, he only had three drops last year. It's only four, four, 4.1%. It's actually wider series 56. So it wasn't that bad. It's just, I think we have someone here who's salty from a DFS lineup. Yeah. I'm sure that that four, <laughs> 4.1% is probably a pretty high drop rate. I mean, four, three drops on 70 targets is, I mean, it's not Deontay Johnson numbers, <laughs> but drops I Johnson. Mean, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's had years with, 5.7% drop rate last time he played a full season. So he definitely has earned that reputation. 
So I want you to know, Dario, I have taken your advice and I have moved CD Lamb slightly in the rankings. Why don't you take a look at the wide receiver projections wow. and see who and see who moved up? <laughs> I still I'm gonna keep pounding the table for Devontae Adams. I know that you're you're anti-Jimmy because he traumatized you, but I think we need to be objective here, Billy, and look at the fact that Devontae Adams has been basically the best true NFL receiver in the league for like three or four years now. So I did take a little bit from his touchdown rate from Lamb's touchdown rate. We, we had it pretty high. We had it at a career high. Uh, I think this is probably a little more realistic. We I just moved it to eight and a half instead of 10. Um, he was at almost a 9% touchdown rate before. So we took him to an 8%, which is still pretty high, but we look at his career He's been at nine last year, 60 before five. So it's been climbing. So I was hoping for 10, but eight and a half is, is safe. It did drop him down one spot, though, inside the wide receiver ranks. And for those of you who can't see the sheet, Dario's laughing because it moved my boy. Dario, you want to tell him who it is? Well, yeah, Amon Ross St. Brown went up to wide receiver six. But I mean, I'm not hating on Amon Ross. I, I love, I love St. Brown. I, I think that he's the total stud. I just think that. Both of those guys should probably be behind Adams. <laughs> I don't know. Jimmy Garoppolo is 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 not that great of a quarterback, Dario. But we can save uh, the AFC West for a different day. Different day, Dario. Let's keep going on the NFC East. Let's move over to the Giants. So Giants, we have Daniel Jones, of course, as the quarterback one. Tyrell Taylor is still there as the back, or I should say is there as the backup. We have Jones at 3,469 passing yards, 19.6 touchdowns, 10.4 interceptions. We do have him for 95 rushing attempts, 3.1 rushing touchdowns. Might be a little modest, but I think it's realistic. Then in the other part of the rushing game, we have Saquon Barkley, which is a whole topic right now with his contract. But as of today, 56.5% of the rush share, which is 268 rushing attempts, 1,100 rushing yards and some change. 8.9 8.9 rushing touchdowns outside of Barkley. It's really nobody else. Brita has about 15% of the rush share. And then it, I don't really care to talk about Gary Brightwell or Josh Corbin or Eric Gray. Um, yeah, I think that I think that Eric Gray landed perfectly just as a handcuff. I think that it's unlikely that Saquon holds out. We saw that end very poorly for Le'Veon Bell. And I think Saquon's, you know, it, it's just the nature of the running back career trajectories in the in the current NFL. It's really hard for running backs to get a good second contract because by the time you're 26, 27, you have all your best years behind you as a running back. And that is more true for running backs than any other position. But I think that these projections and you know, perfectly agreeable with all this. I think that Saquon, I mean, there were so many weeks last year where Saquon was carrying this offense from a passing perspective, too. I think that's that's what'll, you know, either keep his fantasy value afloat or if that goes away now that they do have Waller and just a little more weapons and those weapons stay healthier. They drafted Jalen Hyatt. I think that if like we still have Saquon projected for 13 percent target share, which feels pretty, pretty reasonable given what we've seen from him. But in a scenario where that drops to 9, 10%. He saw his, 17% last year. Yeah. And, and they, they signed more. I think they, they, they saw part of that was because they had no one else to throw the ball to. And they saw that that is not a good way to run an NFL offense. So I, I doubt that uh, Brian Dable will be telling you that that's his goal to do that again this year. So I think that that's, that'll be what kind of caps his ceiling I think as if that target share doesn't stay up there but I mean right now he's going in the mid second I think that's pretty reasonable you have some hope that maybe this offense does get overall more efficient produce more red zone touches for Saquon so yeah I think that it really is Saquon and then a bunch of dust at the moment in their running back room and if Saquon I mean, yeah, Saquon has so much leverage right now. If he if he doesn't play this this te- this offense is going to look pretty gross. Well, let's let's just keep going to the passing game. So we do have Saquon projected for thirteen percent of the target share. Like I said earlier, he had a seventeen point two percent target share last year, which was RB five. This is where it gets interesting. 
is the, is the receiving core. Uh, we have Isaiah Hodgins. Who, who, we have Isaiah Hodgins here. We have Paris Campbell here. I feel like these need to be looked at right now. Hodgins, Campbell, Sterling Shepard, Wandell Robinson, Darius Slayton, Jamison Crowder. We have Darren Waller, Jalen Hyatt. I mean, this is this is disgusting. Like trying to project this right now is almost impossible. I think we can both agree that Darren Waller is the number one out of all these guys. Who's the number two? I I personally would want to bet on Hodgins. I think that I mean Paris Campbell's promising, and he had he had 92, 92 targets last year. That's that's nothing small for for a guy who had struggled to stay on the field his first three years of his career. I think that I think that Isaiah Hodgins is intriguing because he earned the trust of Brian Dable last year, and he earned the trust of Daniel Jones. So he was he was very solid, and he's he's actually going dirt cheap right now. I mean, he's we look at just Giants weapons. Hodgins is going third behind Jalen. I mean, God, this is ridiculous. If you look at all the Giants pass catchers in underdog ADP, it's Darren Waller tight end seven at 78 overall. And then the receivers go in the order of Hyatt, Wandale, Hodgins, Campbell, Slayton, and then Sterling Shepard is effectively Wait. undrafted. Wait, say that again? It's Waller. Hyatt, Waller and then Hyatt at 140, Wandale at 166, Hodgins at 182, and Campbell at 208. So almost... We, have, in, we almost have it back. We have it in like the total opposite order. <laughs> Okay, and I mean, let's I talk about probably, this because this probably needs to be talked about because this is a messy, a messy receiving core. I mean, I I definitely think Waller is number one. So okay, we agree with ADP there. We have Hodgins as number one as the receivers, so number two in the passing game, and then we have Campbell. I mean, I understand wanting Wandale here, but it's coming off of a, of a knee injury. But Hyatt, who's coming in as a rookie, who's a burner, right? I don't think Hyatt's number two. Yeah, I think that I think that part of the thought process around Hyatt from the fantasy community has been I mean, pre-draft, he was a guy who was rumored to go in the top 40 picks. I mean, where we saw Jonathan Mingo, Jaden Reed get drafted is where people thought Jalen Hyatt was going to go. So seeing Jalen Hyatt fall to the third round, I don't think it's been fully accounted for. Third round receivers as rookies, you're mm-hmm. probably not going to get much. I mean, it does feel a little bit like the Jalen Tolbert situation last season. Not to not to say that the two rookies named Jalen drafted uh, <laughs> into the NFC East offenses are going to perform similarly. And Tolbert was a fifth round pick, to be fair. But it just feels like, I mean, yeah, to be drafting him ahead of Hodgins, ahead of Slayton, ahead of Campbell, it does feel pretty, pretty. I thought I was being generous when I gave Hyatt ten percent of the target share. Yeah, no, I, I don't, I don't disagree with you. I mean, we've seen rookies just not even get on the field until week 10. So so then you agree with the projection right now. Hodgins is the number two right now behind Darren Waller. And then, yeah. okay, so okay, so, so we agree there. How about, where? who's the number three? Is it Paris Campbell? Is it Slayton? Is it Hyatt? Is it Wandale Robinson when he's back? Yes, probably. But in the meantime, Campbell's healthy and on the field. Who do you yeah. think... Slides in as the number three. I think that I think that it is Campbell, and I, I think it'll be interesting to see when Wandale does come because we have Wandale at nine percent of the target share. We expect him to play about half the season, maybe a little more. So you're looking at Wandale being kind of a one B with Waller. I think he's probably the most targeted wide receiver once he's fully back up to speed. But we also know that he's coming off of an ACL tear. He's not going to just step step back onto the field his first week back and get eight targets and play a full healthy game. I think that by the time we see the Wandale Robinson that you're hoping to draft in your underdog drafts, it's going to be week 10, week 11. And I think that's also part of what's driving up his ADP is those are the most valuable weeks down the stretch. If you get a healthy Wandale Robinson for the fantasy playoffs, that could be more valuable than a whole season's worth of Paris Campbell being a wide receiver four or a wide receiver five or Isaiah Hodgins being a wide receiver three. So I think that's kind of that to me justifies that ADP, but Jalen Hyatt is really mysterious. 
So Paris Campbell's actually been one of my most owned receivers and underdog just because he's going so late and because we do have it projected differently than ADP does. We had a, a comment in here that I would like to just address. Why is Campbell so highly rated? Paris that- Campbell <laughs> was a second round pick in 2019. He who has yet to last year was the first year we saw him play 17 game season. 2019. The first year we saw him play double digit games. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. So actually, let's put it this way. Last year, he had played more than he played in the previous three seasons combined. He played seven games in his rookie campaign, two games as uh, as a, a, in 2020, and then six games in 2021. Finally played 17 games last year. However, when he played the full season, he saw 92 targets. He had 63 receptions, 623 yards. He finished as wide receiver 54 in points per game. And he was... I mean, he was efficient. He was he was out of the slot, so uh, we expect him to play in the slot here, especially while Wandale is recovering from injury. My thing is if if he can stay healthy and on the field, although this could be like as soon as Campbell is hurt, Slayton, it could be like this just book ending, right? Where Campbell gets hurt, Slayton, it, or not Slayton, um, sorry, excuse me, not Slayton, um, Wandale Robinson. Wandale comes onto the field right as Paris Campbell's coming off the field. That would probably be a realistic approach here. But if it doesn't, I can see a scenario where Paris Campbell stays on the field because he is actually really good at football and he's really fast. 4.31 speed, 98th percentile speed score, 97th percentile burst score. And someone said when I brought this up on Twitter, they said, well, how can we even look at his workout metrics when he was drafted four years ago. Next Gen Stats had him as the fastest player in the NFL last year on the field. <laughs> Jeez, I didn't know that one. That's that's crazy. I think also if he was faster actually... than an iguana. Did you see that 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 post I did? <laughs> I didn't see that. Iguanas can run like twenty three miles an hour. <laughs> so, like, if you put an iguana in the field, I mean, a kid has, he doesn't have pads, of course. But if 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 he did, he's probably a lot slower. But if you have an iguana on the field. He's like the third or fourth fastest player of the NFL. That's wild. <laughs> I think that also, if you would have asked me to guess how many targets Paris Campbell had last year, I probably would have said like 65, 70. The fact he actually had 92 targets was more than I would have thought I remembered. So that's that's promising. And I also think that the way he was used last year in that Colts offense, I mean, the Colts offense became a total joke after they fired Frank Reich. And that was about halfway through the season. So his ADOT of 6.3 was 96th among wide receiver. He only had six deep targets in a full season. That's like criminally misusing a guy with his skill set. I mean, he's had seasons with, I mean, admittedly he's only on 10 receptions, but he had 16.2 yards per reception last year in six games. So I think that he could potentially bring an element, like I think there could be like a mutual sort of like, he brings an element to this Giants offense that's new. And then Brian Dable, who's frankly one of the best coaches in the league, finds ways to use Paris Campbell that we didn't see last year in that uncreative Colts offense. Okay, back to the iguana. Paris Campbell <laughs> was the fastest player on the field last year, running 22.11 miles per hour. Kenneth Walker was number two at 20, uh, 22.09. Brees Hall was number three at 21.87. Deshaun Jackson was 21.72, and Iguana clocks at 21.7. So, what is it? A 34-year-old Deshaun Jackson is faster than Iguana, but the <laughs> likes of Christian Watson, Jalen Waddle, Dalvin Cook, Travis Etienne, Tariq Woolen, and Devin Duvernay are slower than an Iguana. Just stat of the day. That's pretty insane. <laughs> So yes, I want Paris Campbell in my best ball leagues. He was the fastest player on the field last year. You can get him for cheap. Yes, this ba- this this receiving core is a mess. Um, someone mentioned in here that it sounds like eight guys for 500 yards. That's probably pretty accurate. I think we have we have Hodgins for 653. We have Waller for just under 800, and everybody else is actually below 500. Yeah. Um, oh, Campbell's 537s. Everybody else below that is under 500. But it is it is a pretty hodgepodge mess at receiver here for these Giants. <laughs> so here we go. Another another person says we had <laughs> Hyatt hit 22.5 miles per hour in college. 
Okay, great. He's faster than an iguana, but he's not 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 in the NFL, so he can't be faster than Paris Campbell as of today. <laughs> Let, let's move on to the last team. Let's talk about the Washington Commanders. We are projecting Sam Howell to be the starter. We are projecting him for 13 games, so not the full season. We do think that Jacoby Brissett will see the field at some point in the season. For, we haven't projected for four games. Let's just focus on Howell right now. We have Howell for 3,200 yards in, in, in the passing game. Uh, 19.7 passing touchdowns, 11 interceptions. We do have for 55 rushing attempts and 270 rushing yards. Um, I feel pretty good about those stats. I, the question is, is if he just kind of shits the bed, how much do we see of Jacoby Brissett? Mm-hmm. I think that, yeah, there's a very good chance or not a very good chance, but if Sam Howell, you know, turns out to play like just, just another mediocre quarterback or he turns out to play maybe like another Sam in the NFL, Sam Darnold. Um, he could very realistically get replaced by Jacoby Brissett. I mean, we saw Brissett be pretty capable for the Browns last year. So I think that that's part of why the commanders brought him in is they know they want to have that guy they can trust. If the Sam Howell audition doesn't go well, Sam Howell did play pretty well in his one start last season. So I, we have, you know, we have some optimism and we're projecting accordingly. Um, but yeah, I think that our projection of four games for Brissett feels about right at the moment. But are there scenarios where that's more like 10 games for Brissett? Absolutely. Okay. Inside the rushing game, we have Brian Robinson accounting for 43% of the rushing share, 216 rushing attempts, 864 rushing yards, and 7.6 touchdowns. We have Antonio Gibson for 31 percent of the rushing share 155 rushing attempts 623 rushing yards and 4.4 scores on the ground uh have the likes of chris rodriguez jared patterson uh terry mclaurin curtis samuel all kind of accounting for anywhere from half percent to three percent between the the likes of all of them uh of course you have to give some of the rushing share to the other to the quarterbacks as well so like we mentioned earlier jacoby Brissett has four games at three percent and sam howell's worked in there as well how do we feel about this backfield? If you take a look at the actual projections or inside the rankings, I should say, we have Brian Robinson as RB31 and we have Antonio Gibson as RB30. So they're back to back in the rankings. Like we mentioned, Gibson is less of the rushing share, but of course will take on the majority of the passing work at nine and a half percent of the target share versus Brian Robinson's five, which even seems high to be honest. Where do we think this back? Do we do we like how this backfield split up in our projections? Do we need any adjustments? What do you think? I like how it's split up, and I think without question, Gibson has the higher upside. We've seen Brian Robinson plot his way to like 19 yards on 18 carries, seemingly <laughs> already at the NFL level. And I think that he's going to continue to be that guy and that that kind of skill set. And at the end of the day, the coaches are the ones calling the shots. Brian Robinson clearly has the trust of Ron Rivera. So as long as that continues, I think we're going to keep projecting him for more carries than Antonio Gibson week in, week out. But J.D. McKissick and his retirement is opening up a lot of backfield targets in this offense. The role of J.D. McKissick was a very stable one for, for several years in a row in this offense. I mean, he would have five, six, seven target games and if Antonio Gibson is going to have those kinds of games, he's a guy you're going to want to be drafting. Gibson last year, we saw him with 12% of the target share once he finally took over that that receiving back role. It's kind of what we've been hoping for for, what, the past three years when he entered the league in 2020. So it was, it was nice to officially see him take on that role in a full-time capacity. We will see it happen for a first time all year this year in 2023. Uh, we saw the the comments from the coaching staff this week. They wanted to get Gibson more involved. So that's music to my ears. Mm -hmm. I think if we knew that this backfield was going to be closer to, you know, 40 and 38 instead of 43 and 31. And if we could see Gibson in that 180 range in rushing attempts, there's a case for me that Gibson should be a top 24 back or top 25 back just because of his upside in the passing game. He is electric. Right, he's he's fast. He ran a four three nine coming out of college. 
He has, you know, an outstanding speed score as well, 99th percentile. And so we have seen him be very successful in the NFL when he's been given the opportunity. It just breaks down to not getting the opportunities in this offense. Mm-hmm. And I think that if we did see him in a full-time role, this guy could be the ceiling for him in, in terms of production in 2023. Um, Absolutely. I think that also the thing to keep in mind with Robinson, he was the running back 28 last year in points per game and in total points. And we think there's a pretty good chance he maintains a similar role. We think that this this offense is probably not going too far this season. No one expects them to be become hyper explosive or hyper efficient. But Eric Bieniemy should hopefully be able to put players in better positions to succeed. And we saw running back 28 last season for Gibson in a similar role. He's being drafted as running back 42. So he's we have him. You said I think 30, 31 ranked right now. And which one, Gibson? Gibson. Gibson 30, is I 30 said. on the dot. Yep. And I mean, that's still, you know, I think factoring in some risk of that role remaining uncertain. But I mean, if you, I think if you look at the ADP, you look at what he did last year, you look at the projections we just read off. I don't think we have him unreasonably projected for too many targets. I mean, nine and a half percent target share, 55 for a guy who is, you know, saw had 46 receptions last year, 42 the year before. 12% target share last year, 10.5 the year before. I think that, I mean, the more I'm looking at these numbers and the more I'm thinking about his profile relative to Brian Robinson and having that upside, I'm kind of really liking Antonio Gibson right now. I mean, there's been years where we've been too far out over our skis on him, but I think <laughs> right now he's, uh, you know, kind of like a post-hype sleeper almost. I just gave him a slight bump in the rushing game and it moved him to RB 26 and I didn't give him a lot. I gave him like 5% more. Um, uh, Let's take a look real quick while we have it all pulled up. So he had 149 rushing attempts last year, 258 in 2021, 170 in 2020. That slight bump took him to, where'd he go? Got to slide it back over. Took him to 185. So that would be, that would be his second highest. That might be a little too high. Go 0.35. That's a little more realistic. Where did that move him in, inside of the rankings? Let's see. Moving up two spots. 28. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, that to me feels about right. I think that that's, that's kind of, I mean, we talk about the dead zone and then there's that zone of running backs right after the dead zone where you find the league winners every year. I think of two years ago when Leonard Fournette and James Conner were both going in the ninth, 10th round. And I mean, if you look at the list of names between running back 26 and running back 35 in our rankings right now, it's just a bunch of guys who could have an absolutely crazy season or a big stretch of games that are very much projectable for a role in a good offense. I mean, you're talking about Pacheco, Madison, Gibson, AJ Dillon, you know, another guy who was all the rage last year and his situation really hasn't changed that much going into this season, but he's going later. DeAndre Swift, we talked about the upside in Philly, Damian Harris, James Cook. I mean, there's just a very, very valuable upside tier of running backs there. Okay, I think we actually had him projected. I just saw his target share and I, I looked at his 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 last couple campaigns, and I think we were actually slightly low. Uh I just gave him a slight bump. And take a look at that. So not, this is why we're doing this, folks. Like this is also for us to double check our numbers live on air, talk about it. Talk through it. When you talk about things, you realize that maybe you have something wrong. Where where did that move Gibson? That gave him we gave him about twenty five, and so that's with that's now a sixty four targets. And last year he had fifty eight targets. We're expecting him now in a full time pass catching role inside this offense, and that gave him that that's at a seventy three percent catch rate. His expected is eighty, which but if we're seeing a bump, we're not going to see we're going to see a decrease in efficiency on catch rate. So I think that's probably about accurate. His expected, according to the algorithm, is 7.3 yards per reception. We have a 7.25, so that's about right. 340 receiving yards, 2.3 touchdowns, um, 2.1, sorry. Yep. Yeah, I mean, I think that all the numbers check out. And I think the thing, too, is you don't have to get Gibson at running back 25. Get him at running back 40 in your drafts, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I think that he's, you know, based on our very you know very objective 
logical system of trying to pin a good projection on him and thinking through what this offense could be. It's a lot of green lights for Antonio Gibson. Okay, let's talk about the rest of the pass catching, and then I want to address one more comment before we get out of here uh, in regards to our Anthony Richardson projection, because there is a reason where he's at in our projections. But let's take a look at these pass catchers for the commanders. So right now we have Terry McLaurin for 23% of the target share, Curtis Samuel for 13.5%, Jahan Dotson for 19.5%, and then... We still have Logan Thomas for 11%, and then it drops off pretty significantly from there. How do we feel about the pass catchers here? I, I feel pretty good about where we have the numbers, and I like where they're at in re- relative to ADP as well. Yeah, I think so too. I think Dotson is exciting, but I've mentioned that I'm a little higher on Traylon Burks. I don't I think that shouldn't take away from Dotson and the fact that he's I mean, another exciting year two receiver and year two receivers are very much something you want to be targeting in all your formats in fantasy football. So I love, I, you know, you're not going to hear too many bad things about Jahan Dotson for me. I think Curtis Samuel is a little bit interesting, but in a almost concerning sense, because he started out earning many more targets in the first few weeks of last season than he did down the stretch. I think that Jahan Dotson is very much kind of eating into his role but Terry McLaurin's still going to be that alpha and Terry McLaurin can't possibly be any worse than he was with Carson Wentz. I think I saw someone talking about, you know, Terry McLaurin's straight up Carson Wentz versus anyone else in the NFL at quarterback splits. And Carson Wentz just absolutely nuked Terry McLaurin's ceiling, his floor, his everything. And, you know, I hope that we get to see more of true baller Terry McLaurin that we know. Okay. Uh- I think we're done with the, the NFC East. There's a comment in here from the Harry Snowman who says that if we're talking about rankings, Ayrich should be above Stafford and FFPC seasonal. Shame. <laughs> so all of these are based on projections. that We, at the moment, are not projecting Anthony Richardson to, to be the starter week one. I, I know news has shifted to him being the starter week one, we are still projecting him as of today, May 17th, 2023. We are still projecting him to play, was it 14 games? Let's let's find it. I think, yeah, 13 or 14. 13 games. So we do have Minshew playing four games as of today. Uh, So from a raw number standpoint, that's why he's lower in the rankings. If you go, though, on a points per game basis, where is he on that, Dario? Where are we? Anthony Richardson. I think he's closer 19. to quarterback 12 in points per game. Yeah, 19.3. That would put him behind Dak Prescott. So quarterback 11. Oh, no, 12 right. because Tua. Yeah, Tua's, Tua's up there. And then I think Kyler. Oh, Kyler Murray's a little higher. So, yeah, be Kyler's also, thir- so he'd the, be like quarterback 13 in just straight up points per game. So if you want to use points per game, great. There it is for you. Quarterback 13. However not projected to play the entire season as of today in our rankings, hence why he is at where he is inside of our seasonal rankings. Um, we have not overlaid the ADP yet in terms of, of the uh, projections and, and the ADP for FFPC for those rankings. Those are going to be done shortly, but uh, we wanted to make sure we had more drafts in the book. So we had some more accurate mm-hmm. data. Uh, we didn't want to have it skewed so much based upon the minimal amount of drafts over at the FPC for the FFPC. Say mm-hmm. that 10 times, Dario. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think that, like you said, for for a while now, up to this point in the offseason, we've been just doing rankings as purely, a big, largely a reading of our projections. Now, as ADPs start to stabilize and be a little bit more reliable of an indicator, I think we'll be factoring that in a little bit more, kind of going from our pre-draft formula and pre-draft approach to the you know real off season i mean it's may it feels like the season is closer than ever but it's still pretty far off we got two and a half three and a half three and a half months ago so a lot of things are going to change and you know i'm excited for it one more comment and then we're out of here guys i think you may be low on points per game he was going to run over safeties <laughs> well that is great because he's not going to be throwing over them because we don't we know he's <laughs> he's not the most accurate quarterback. You could be throwing it over everyone. 
<laughs> yeah, you just throw it, throw it in the end zone. <laughs> no, I don't know. I, I'm bullish on Richardson, but I think on much more so on a dynasty perspective. So don't expect too much in year one. We've seen, I mean, Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts are two of the like, and Patrick Mahomes, you know, rode the bench for a year. Like no one comes into the NFL ready to be a QB one in fantasy, just like top three overnight. So we got to temper our expectations on Richardson a little bit, folks. That's it, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to Man vs. Machine as we broke down the NFC East and discussed the Minnesota Vikings backfield. We will see you all back here next week. We'll talk more projections. Take care. Thanks for tuning in. Be sure to subscribe and activate those alerts so you get notified as soon as new videos drop. And be sure to check out playerprofiler.com. We have all the tools for you to dominate every type of fantasy league. We have a draft kit, Dynasty Deluxe, Data Analysis, DFS Dominator, and don't forget the player rankings to rule them all.